I'm Al Phil Reese, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Pen Sound archive, writing.upen.edu slash pensound. Today I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writer's House in our Arts Cafe by Sophia DuRose, ex-circus performer from Central Florida and now writer in Philadelphia, whose work has appeared in literary magazines such as Rainy Day Magazine, Revelry, National Poetry Magazine, Apparicity, and whose first book of poetry, which I happily and proudly own, called Losing Teeth, was published by Shanti Press in May of 2019. And by Kinar Gavin, a widely published poet, author of Vela, published in 2019, and poems in many venues, who is also a scholar critic working at the juncture of eco-poetics, media, ecology, and new materialist inquiry, whose current project explores the use of poetic strategy to contend with the complex material relations, chronologies, and entanglements associated with the environmental crisis who has co-coordinated the Anthropocene and Animal Studies Reading Group and is currently the Poetics Fellow here at the Kelly Writers House working with the open online course called ModPo. And by Anna Vitale, poet, editor, emergent, psychotherapist, and psychoanalyst, freeform radio program host, whose many books include Detroit, Detroit, Different Worlds, Unknown Pleasures, among others who has taught in Bard's Language and Thinking Program and at the School of Visual Arts and elsewhere, and who co-founded the important online audio magazine Text Sound, the complete archive of which can be found at textsound.org and also, I'm happy to say, at Penn Sound. Anna, thank you for making the trip down from Tivoli, New York, to join us here at the Writer's House. It's my pleasure. And, and this is your first time at the Writer's House. It is. All right. First impression? It's awesome. Yeah, that was the right <laughs> answer. <laughs> what do you like about it? What, what's so far so good? Oh, I like all the light, uh, metaphorical and literal. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Kinar, how are you? Doing well. Good. Yeah, super happy to be back in this space. It's good to see you. And Sophia DeRose, as always, Fantastic to see you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> so today, the four of us have gathered here to talk about a selection from Leslie Scalapino's poem, Cant is Night. And Cant is in quotes. Cant is Night, N-I-G-H-T. The three-page passage of this poem was chosen by Scalapino herself for her book, It's Go in Her Horizontal, Selected Poems, 1974-2006. Our recording comes from a May 14, 2007 episode of Charles Bernstein's series, Close Listening. So here now is Leslie Scalapino performing Cant is Night. I'm going to read from Cant is Night. That's from the longer book, Day, Ocean, State of Stars, Night. Re- separation of character and night. No language with it. Movement or language here? The real-time event occurring 
is the only thing there is, was. They've destroyed language, so we have to destroy it in it, not movement. Night exists at day, but is not the same night, so night is not existing, then, then is open to the senses. She, someone, says our language is to remove boundless character of night, when, that's terror, when, their lie, as that one's, is to substitute for night, hers, night, terror, say how, to reverse their reverse of the boundless character of night can't be said or moved either, even though outside, blues can't exist outside either, as separation of character and night, so it's separation of character and night, too. Sense and events, not language, separation of character and night is outside movements, separation of character and night, too, day, as bud, displacing is, lineage, both, both the bud and displacing. Single is trees, buds, their day. We dropped a few civilians, but what do you do, the sniper says. One Iraqi soldier and 25 women and children. I didn't take the shot, but one Iraqi soldier standing among two or three civilians, sharpshooter Sergeant Schrumpf, remembering uh, the woman going down, the chick was in the way. Events are against movement, can't be in one's movement, displacing terror by killing, not movement displacing language. The Kurds just move in that space, waves on a line across it. We've courted to fight and dropped them to be, were slaughtered again, court to have them attack on the lands where they're slaughtered, then wave on lines on one side in space. We label them freedom fighters on the lines other side, the same ones we label terrorists as words, labels, space, one. Is there a difference between the basic space of phenomena, phrase, and the space of planets, moon, outside movement. Listeners to the performance who don't have access to the text can and also possibly can't hear what we see in the print version. Um, so Anna, pick any of the phrases or words that are put in single quotation marks and help us understand that a little bit what what is leslie scalapino doing with that and how does it you know, have an impact on the poem well i think i d would just start with can't is night uh the single quotes around can't and night and i've been wondering uh about about the relationship between those two words and they really show up here as I think objects right they feel um, so much more materialized with those quotes around them I think that's where I'd start and then there's that little is between them <laughs> that connects them 
Um, it's so challenging. Uh, it, it, it really makes me slow down. Yeah, it, may, it makes you have to think, uh, especially when the quotation marks are around a phrase like no language. Uh, Sophia, do you want to take it further? Um, we have terror in quotes. We have, so some of this are scare quotes or ironizing quotes, like so-called terror. Take it a little further. Um, well, actually, when um, I was listening to the recording, I noticed that um, with while I was reading along with it, she said no language in quotes with it, dash movement or language. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize that that could be understood if you're listening to it as K-N-O-W, no language, and that no and no, that um, seemed important because of how different they are and mm. how different that makes that line feel. Um, that probably didn't answer your question at all, but that's what I was thinking about. No, it, 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 totally, it totally did. I mean, when, uh, Kinar, when, the, um, when a phrase like no language is in quotation marks, you're invited all the more, Sophia, to listen. Okay, is she saying something about these words, the sound of these words, the way these words are socially positioned? So yes, of course. Kinar? Yeah, I think the social positioning is absolutely... Uh, critical, often, you know, terms like we or there, there as in the possessive are within these uh, quotations as well. Um, as I was trying to kind of grapple with that, I, I, I was thinking about this phrase that occurs toward the end of the poem, which is words, labels, space. And I was like, hmm, what does this mean? Uh, and then I realized words, labels is one term, right? Um, labels that include or kind of collapse or somehow try to kind of contain a whole host of, you know, words, uh, maybe an entire vocabulary, right, is collapsed into a single label and that that kind of collapse, that is a space-making gesture. And I mm. think often these kind of quotation marks too are creating sorts of glitches and space as well. Thank you, Anna. Um, listeners to the poem, readers of the poem, are going to encounter a repetition of a phrase that doesn't make immediate sense, and that is separation of character and night. Can you make a start on that to help people guide them a little bit? What's going on there? The separation of character and night, and, and Leslie takes that pause. I think there's always a pause or if not always, quite often in the way she reads. Between. She respects her line endings. Yes, she does, and really asks us to stay with them, and it's so considered, and um, it feels, uh, in a sense, not exclusively, but in a sense like a, a, a mirror or a model of the work of sep separating, uh, and especially this idea of the separation of character and night that we come to again and again it's maybe it's almost like it's difficult to make a distinction and i'm and 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 the poet and is is inviting us and also herself trying to really make a distinction between something called character and something called night and we have to keep coming back to it um because that distinction is 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 uncertain. Um, I don't even know what character is in this, um, and I'm not sure that the poet uh, does 
uh, either. And, and so the need to keep creating a separation between these uh, two words or concepts or are they feelings? Well, that's a start. Um, your point about separation and the constant reinvention of what separation is in this poem, like the constant begging of us to recognize the difference, I find really exciting because I feel like so much of this poem is trying to make like an outside and then that forces us here now to be inside. So if we're inside the poem, is separation of us like a collective readership possible if separation of character and night is outside's movement, which is a line from, I think, the second page. Like, is that democratic? I, I, I don't know. Is it, is it meant to be? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Doesn't it lead us, Kennard, to this concept of displacing, displacement? I mean, even before we get to Iraq, even before we get to the so-called war on so-called terror, and I say that carefully, um, but this is where she's leading us. We know that displacement is something about an event. It's something about the relationship between character and night. It's something about uh, disorientation and disjunction. And then we get to the references to Iraq. So can you riff a little, Kanar, on displacement and displacing is the word she uses? Sure, yeah. Um so I, I wonder if maybe it's helpful kind of uh, thinking back to Sophia's previous comment um, to think about the inside and outside of the poem, uh, what is placed or displaced by the act of simply creating a poem, right? Um, I caught a little on just this opening phoneme, right? Re, she says, or R-E, or... She doesn't say re-separation. Re. She doesn't say re, right? Which would maybe more, more concretely suggest like in regard to or something of that nature. Um, and so, so it's just there with this kind of dash following it, which to me is kind of this invitation to think about what is rehearsed, what is reified when you create a poem like this, a poem that draws on, for one thing, a kind of highly publicized news media kind of statement, right, by this Sergeant Trump, um, you know, what does it mean to embed that within a poem? What are the politics of including that? Is there a risk in the poem of placing or displacing some particular aspect of this sort of effort to think about U.S. exceptionalism and what forms of displacement are, are required by that, that project? I'm so glad you brought our attention to the <laughs> that starts us off and I don't know what listeners would hear if they weren't looking at the poem or what that would even you know feel like I got so stuck there that I, I had to look up ruh in the in, you know like in many dictionaries just 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 to have something to hang on to and I think um, what you're saying about U.S. exceptionalism actually is I, I wonder if if the poet is trying to be in some ways extremely unexceptional here by giving us like the smallest piece of language that that turns us towards something like what does ra do um, takes us back or is a repetition but it's 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 so it's, it feels very hum humbling um, or or it's a ver it's very risky but it's so small uh, at the same time 
Sophia, um, right after that, and, and Anna just set us up so perfectly for this, we encounter, and we've talked about it already, no language, and then a little lower down, a few lines down, we hear about a they who have destroyed language. So we have to destroy it. So this is a, such a tough question, but you're, you're up for it. Um, Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Language and this poem overall, or language and the position that Leslie Scalapino is taking, I mean, almost political position. La la what's the relationship between language and this, uh, this new separation of, of character and night and this Sergeant Schrumpf who is clearly committing an atrocity and is quoted in double quotes, which is different from the single quotes. Um, and then there's the question of terror, which gets ironized. Can you, let's start, and we'll, Kanar will go next, on language in this poem overall. Okay. Um, I think the experience of, of being here in a poem while reading is important to the concept of an event in this poem as well. On the second page, I was struck by um, the phrase, an event's not language. And I a thought- Event it, as opposed to language. Language is just word, but an event is a thing that happens in the world. Yes. However, I also read it as like an event's possessive ownership of all the language that surrounds it because it can't get to the event. So- in the double quotes, the chick was in the way. That's the, that the event of her, of the, the chick is being spoken about in a way that probably um, shouldn't, it shouldn't be spoken about. And that can be construed as like the events, not language. I'm sorry, that probably didn't make any sense at all. I think um. it made a lot of sense. I turn us back to a phrase toward the beginning of the poem, another aversion of event, the real-time event. And I think about the brilliant thing you said toward the beginning of your comments about how the here of this poem is the only real-time event that's happening is what we're doing when we're uh, experiencing the reseparation of character and night in this poem. Kinar... We got a good start there. Language. How does it work in this poem? What's it about? Who's destroying the language? I'm just scatter shooting, you know, all kinds, as it were, scatter shooting, all kinds of things. And the collateral damage, which is really what happens with Schrumpf, he's arguing, he's justifying collateral damage. Uh, a woman was in a civilian was in the way. But there's also language as a collateral damage. Does she lament the destruction of this language? Or is she feeling only that it is commensurate with the situation. And how about the disjunction in her own language? How should we, what's our position in relation to that? How should we feel about that? A couple of dumb questions there, but. Yeah, um, so she asks us kind of at the outset of the poem to think of movement and language together. She says movement or language. Um, and they're kind of, uh, in, in a certain way interchangeable and they often will repeat, repeat in, in places where, you know, one would likely work where the other could work just as well. Um, but, you know, I think politically she wants to think through the ways that restricting movement even can be 
the same kind of violence that can happen within language when you restrict meanings and when you crush nuance, right? When you collapse, um, say, a, a set of viewpoints into a we or into a there or into a an us, right? Um, kind of returning to our earlier look at what is contained in these, these single quotation marks. When I was uh, reading and listening to this and to your point, Kanar, about movement or language being c connected uh, and, and the emphasis that Sophia made on here, right, the poem. Uh, in the publication of the book, Day, Ocean, State of Stars, Night, the, the little introductory paragraph tells us that there's uh, dance and music in the performance of this uh, work and, and that uh, the poet is walking around with the dancers. And I uh, kept wanting to go to an outside of the poem, even in my mind, that, that, that imagined stage where the poet is moving and walking and how that would have such an important and moving uh, emotionally and physically relationship to the need to return to movement, which terror you know, strangles uh, which uh, the destruction of language, you know, steals our capacity to move um, physically, but also maybe be moved emotionally. The chick is in the way, doesn't allow for any real uh, emotional reckoning with the destruction of human life. Sense and events, not language, separation of character and night is outside movements, separation of character and night, to day, as bud, displacing is, lineage, both, both the bud and displacing. I'd like to ask us to go around, all four of us, and pick out a word or a phrase that exemplifies Leslie Scalapino's way pressing hard on words and idioms to make them do a lot more work. It's one of the results we've talked about, uh, putting things in single quotation marks to identify. Uh, and there's puns. That's not even a good word. It's so much bigger than puns. So I wonder if we could go around starting with Sophia. Um, just, just pick one quickly and so that, we, so that we can put it into the record of this conversation, so that people get a sense of the depth of this strategy. Um, I would go with night exists at day, but it is not the same night. Um, I think having the same word, night, <laughs> so many times in this poem and meaning so many things is kind of begging us to ask is to say what something is violent? Is it terrifying to be named? And I think she accomplishes that by saying night exists a day, but it's not the same night. And if we're given this familiar concept of night and told, but it's not the same, then, then what is it? Well, I don't, what, what is it? <laughs> I, I find that terrifying. Nice. Great example. Kunar, do you have one? I do. Uh, so this one contains an italics, which I'll signal. So night is not existing. Then, then, and that's italicized, the then, then, is open to the senses. Uh, it's a very dense line, um, and I spent a little bit of time kind of grappling with it, but uh, that, that 
use of the then, then, I think is really crucial. Um, and, it, and it kind of has to do with the, the complex temporality I think she's trying to access in this poem, part of which has to do with, uh, you know, the counter-terror state and um, uh, the way in which, you know, the logic of pre preemption kind of governed the Iraq war and in so many ways uh, entailed a sort of assuming a future uh, event or threat, right? And that assumption then permissioning or creating space for or, the, or creating kind of the abdication of, of responsibility for particular acts of violence that were carried out, um, like the one that is referenced in this poem. Fabulous. Anna, you, you have one? Uh, even though outside, blues can't exist outside either. Blues? Where did that come from? That's totally yes. my <laughs> thought. Yeah, blues. I mean, and because we're in this night again and again, which we don't know what it is, is this is 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 somehow night connected to to blues um, because it's it's dark blue, or, or and of course the blues as in the 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 mood the sad feeling um, and what of of soldiers um, being outside at night that 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 double that doubleness that dynamic of the of even though outside blues can't exist outside either I mean sometimes I feel like. All I can do is just say what she said again, and, and I don't want to get stuck there. Um, but I think she's giving us something and talking to us about what can't can't be uh, given the conditions uh, of our lives. But maybe it can be inside. Maybe it can be inside the poem because at least the line is there. I don't know, though, so help. I'm so glad. I, I don't think we can help you. I, I'm so glad, Anna, that you brought that up because the, the context of my question, you know, everybody going around, implies like a phrase that you can explain or that you can do something with. And you chose one. I mean, I circled blues and I just put a question mark. Where did that come from? And so I'm so glad that you did that because I think that is the condition mostly of reading a Leslie Scalapino poem. You know, you know, you basically know what the political stance is in its relation to theories of language. But beyond that, when you get down to it, it's this fabulous mystery so much of the time. So I'm going to take my turn, and instead of describing or explaining, I'm just going to put it back on you three, if you don't mind. So this is, um, this is on the last page, the last section, uh, we, in quotes, single quotes, we label them freedom fighters on the lines, line possessive, singular possessive, on the lines other side, the same ones we, another we in quotation marks, the same ones we label terrorists, as in terrorists, as words label space. There's so much going on. So who wants to help? We've got lines, which may or may not refer to the poem, to the lines of the poem, or to battle lines, right? The front. Um, we've got freedom fi fighters in the irony there, and we have this whole thing on terror. Kinar, can you say anything about any part of that? Get us started. Sure, yeah. Um, 
So I appreciated the the kind of attention to labeling actions in this poem and how maybe labeling is a little bit different than sort of language in general, right? Um, it can be a particular mechanic of power or something like that, right? Um, and we have the Invocation of Freedom Fighter here, which at least for me brought to mind um, these sort of um, shifting perspective or light in which the United States held a figure like Osama bin Laden, who you know would have been cast in earlier decades as a freedom fighter. Um, yeah, so so just thinking about though, um, you know what kinds of characteristics I guess we might say to use kind of that term which appears in the poem, the idea of character, uh, get gets mapped onto to you know certain people, real or imagined. Um, and, you know, how does terror, so we have a line break, I guess folks listening can't see this, but we have terror and then ists is dropped um, into the next line. You know, how does the, the sort of terror get constituted in the first place is an open question for me, right? Um, and, you know, how then do you get a terrorist out of this experience of, of terror, right? The... We there, so just to stay with these lines that you've uh, invited us to be with and uh, thinking about the uh, labeling uh, that Kanar is talking about, you know, we've got the we uh, twice in the single quotes. And one thing that I've been thinking about with this poem and, and particularly this part is right, how do we uh, relate uh, to other people and is and 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 the attention we're you know, being uh, asked to give this we uh, of course asks us you know who who are we what is our relationship the reader's relationship to this we uh, but uh, also just a, a, a real question about re relations and relationships and which also terrorists uh, you know gives us to um, a relationship to people or an idea about people and how are those things different? Uh, how are real people different from our ideas about them if we get caught up in the, the labels? Sophia, do you want to add something to this? I'll just throw in while you're thinking uh, this connection between lands and space, territory, right, which is being fought over on one side of a line or another. Not in the poem, yes, in the poem, but not only in the poem, but in a space in this nation. Um, that language has something to do with that because words label space. So if you decide that this is territory that's been liberated or freed, you've just determined politically what it means and so forth. So language makes a difference. Anyway. Sophia, what are your thoughts? Um, I've been thinking of whether or not the the we in these lines, the space we label them, um, ones we label, are is the same we as from the first page, the line, they have destroyed language, so we have to destroy it in it, not. Um, it makes me think we've we've gone through enough of the poem to be implicated in her nowness of 
the as words label space, I think I felt like the as words label space was um, indicative of her words in this and her labeling of this space, maybe like the concretizing of words that otherwise kind of curdle away from being so present and so here, like space itself, like something ephemeral that she's done over and over again until it feels here and feels now and feels ours. And that makes me feel like we, we kind of just cooperate throughout this poem in her theft of our subjectivity because she wants to invent her readers, right? Like Stein. Like Stein. It's so fabulously responsive to what I was saying before, even though what I was saying was kind of intended as a filler while you thought about what you were saying. But this idea of the relationship between the lines dividing lands that are being fought for, words labeling space, and then the destruction of language that gets passed on from they as the destroyers to now us as the destroyers. So we're, you know, Scalapino has us being very complicit all along the way. It's, it's an amazing thing that she's pulled off. Um, I am tempted to ask us to try can't once around. Can anybody do anything with the word can't or the title as a whole? Can't, in quotes, is night, in quotes. Anna, you raised this issue before. What are your thoughts about this? Can you help or guide anyone? I, I, I can certainly try can't actually as opposed to being able to try right really says i i can't um to me i i was really thinking about what can't is or could be and uh i came up you know with uh a helplessness uh and even uh colloquially uh you might say you know i i can't i can't i can't right now can't like there's something uh you know, that we don't have a subject, uh, it's by itself, um, but it does seem uh, especially uh, like someone saying it uh, in the way that, uh, you know, Leslie Scalapino's uh, way, way of saying is very intentional. Um, so hel- helplessness to take me back to the start. Anybody else want to try that? I thought that was great and could stand alone, but Kinar? So for me, I guess the way I was approaching Kant um, has to do with uh, the kind of story I think that that the U.S. often told itself with regard to their kind of um, role as this invading power. Um, They can't not, right? Like our hands are tied because... Um, there is a threat of such a magnitude that, you know, some response is required. Um, and there, with thinking of Kant in this way, I think it's important to also think about night, so we have to think of them together. Um, but I'm kind of moving to this, this line a bit down. The someone says, our language is to remove boundless character of night. Um, but this idea that, you know, um, some kind of intervention is absolutely imperative, um, uh, and it can't not be made, right? The, the intervention can't kind of be done without, uh, and that has implications for land, for, um, 
particular forms of dispossession and things like that. But yeah, I think the can't is so crucial to this poem and also kind of difficult to get traction on too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Wow. So the poem ends with the ba- a, a tradi- sorry for using this word in relation to a scalopino poem, but a traditional quasi-lyric evocation of a night with planets and a moon. That is the boundless night that one hopes that our ecosystem, despite all the destruction in this particular nation where there's a war, um, that's the one you hope for at the end. But halfway through or a third of the way through, we reach night terror. So there's terror as in terrorism and the terror wrought upon civilians. And then, of course, hers night terror that's someone's nightmare that's a horrible disruption of night dash say how blank there's a blank there's a long underscore and a period for those who don't have the poem in front of them so you've got this night terror and you've got presumably all kinds of night warfare which is typically when these things were happening these events and then you get a poem that after words labeling space clears some way back to night that is maybe hoping not to be cant, canted, maybe. I just love that glimmer of hope in, speaking of glimmer, in planets and moon. Anyway, I'm riffing, and I'm not sure there's any hope there, but that's, <laughs> that's the way I would do it. Look, we could talk about this poem, about anything Scalapino does forever, but I think it would be good now for us to go around and all four of us offer final thoughts, something that you came to this conversation about this poem wanting to say but haven't had a chance to yet. So who's ready to do a final thought? Anna, do you have one? Yeah, the question mark at the end, I think that the poem uh, in relationship to Kant is night as its title is so uncertain about what a poem can do and yet, being able to ask a question here uh, is is definitely something the poem can do. That's wonderful. Thank you. Sophia, final thought? Um, honestly, my my final thought is that I really loved Anna's final thought. Um, I, I, I feel really lucky to be involved in this conversation, honestly, because um, when, when I read this poem for the first time, I was, I actually could not figure out where to start with it um so i i, I just feel really you grateful signed that on to this i know but I, I, without it was it was i i responded to it but i was like how do i how do i enter it i felt like i couldn't get into it i felt like i was outside um and the only way to get inside i think was to read it like 400 times um yeah i i really don't have much else to say except thank you for your insights um and I'm looking forward to reading it again, having heard what y'all had to say about it. That's a meta final thought. <laughs> right? Thank you, Anna, for your final thought. That's my final thought. <laughs> I could go with that. Kinar, what do you have? Sure, yeah. Um, I do love just ending with the closing moment. So, so Anna, thanks for launching us in that direction. I do like that. And even though it's kind of an interrogative, like, can we do this? There is this gesture toward like, okay, how do we restore a boundless night of sorts and, and a, a boundless language, a boundless movement, right? The, the possibility to move, to stay, that freedom, right? Um, 
I couldn't help but think about how planets uh, etymologically are wandering stars, right? Um, so we're actually ending asking about that prospect of wandering and of permission. And I, I just love that. And it has to do always back to language, but not just language, prospects of, of safety and well-being and life. So I, I, I love the end, yeah. I have two quick final thoughts. Thank you, Kinar. I have two quick final thoughts. Um, one is about the phrase sharpshooter Sergeant Schrumpf. It's so journalistic, the way you put uh, a modifier that's actually a noun in, in such a journalistic move. One feels that, I mean, how do you make up a name of this guy who's willing to say, we dropped a few, but what can you do? It's got to be someone named Schrumpf. Forgive me, there's just something about it. The sibilance of sharpshooter Sergeant Schrumpf. It's a cartoon character, in a way, and the use of the chick. I mean, and it's set off in a way that almost feels like it's been ripped from the headlines or ripped from the lead article in some newspaper. And I just think, I mean, it's not a moment of comedy, but it is a moment of sideways glance and maybe even wink that this poet found that alliteration and stuck it in there so that we would have no mistaking what Sergeant Trump was all about sonically and otherwise. <laughs> and the other point I want to make is more serious, which is um, right after that, events are against movement I don't know what that means, but I'm going to take a shot at it. Events are against movement, then a lot of space, and then can't be in one's movement. And so this is a person who cares about dance and who cares about the inter-arts. And so movement has been about physical movement and maybe the, dan the dance that you have to do intellectually anyway through the poem. But there I feel like there's a political movement, a social and political movement. I feel that that is... So events are against movement. These are the events. There's two events. One is Schrumpf's collateral damage making, and the other is the event, as Sophia said earlier, of this poem. That's the event we have in real time right now. And they are against movement. That's how hard politics is. Can't, there's our word, can't be in one's movement. She's really got a complicated relationship uh, to uh, politics, to the politics of war and the war on terror. Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for several of us, or all of us, if we're quick, to spread wide our narrow Dickinsonian hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world or the art world or whatever world you want to be in. So who is ready to gather some paradise? Anna, you came the furthest. You get to go first. I am really looking forward to uh, Stacy Zamazic's newest book that's coming out this fall on Archway Editions called Famous Hermits. I heard them read from it recently, and it's just about the right kind of uh, pleasure and uh, grumpiness and observation about living that we can expect from from Stacy's amazing. That's so. great. Can you repeat the name of the of the book? Yeah, Famous Hermits. Fantastic. Thank you for that suggestion. Sophia DeRose, Gather Some Paradise. Um, recently, I've been calling my mom a lot more instead of texting her, and it made me want to reread um, Julia Bloch's Sacramento of Desire. 
honestly. Um, so I would, that's my gathering paradise. Can you say why? Because, um, I've, I've just been having, a, a, I, I've had a lot of recent conversations with my mom about like these adult things that I'm experiencing for the first time in my life. And it, it reminded me of Julia Block's Sacramento of Desire because it's a complicated book about community and motherhood and queerness. And um, it, I just remembered it and reread it and fell back in love with it. Great recommendation. And not the first time it's been recommended on Poem Talk, I think, which is good. <laughs> Kinar Gavin? Yeah, so um, I guess it was sort of in the post-Ida aftermath. I was sort of looking Can back you, through. Can uh, you remind us what Ida is? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so so we're in September of 2021, um, and Hurricane Ida occurred on, in fact, well, it made landfall initially, right, on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, and then kind of proceeded up to, to us here in Philly and onward, uh, producing massive rains, flooding, all kinds of, uh, you know, very severe damage, uh, certainly a billion dollar disaster, I am assuming. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of looking back through uh, Poets of Katrina a little bit, and I just want to, um, yeah, shout out Jerrica Martian's book, Swole, um, which was published by Future Poem, I think two or three years ago, I want to say, maybe 2018. Um, just a really wonderful, cacophonous, strange sort of aquatic in a certain way book of just all these kind of intermeeting mingling voices and forms and stuff so great books it's called swole fantastic spell it s-w-o-l-e yes that's it that is a perfect word you know we're not supposed to say it's supposed to be swollen but i love swole that is such <laughs> a great version of it and so perfect for our fucked up time mm-hmm. um my recommendation is uh uh a book by Hilton Als. He prefers the, the pronunciation Als as opposed to Als, so I just thought I'd say that since it rhymes with me anyway. Hilton Als. It's called Alice Neal Uptown. And it is a, a new, you know, there's been a lot of attention paid to Alice Neal, whom we could describe as a, um, I think one way to describe Alice Neal's work is a prolific proletarian portraitist. You know, I mean, proletarian in the sense of lots of ordinary, unfamous people, although there's some famous people. And Alice would really go everywhere and create these portraits, family, friends, writers, poets, artists. And what Hilton did is looked at all the work that was done in Harlem and Spanish Harlem by Alice Neal, who spent a lot of time up there, and has selected a bunch and produced this book in 2017, Alice Neal Uptown, highly, highly recommend it. Well, that's all the sharpshooter Sergeant Shrump we have time for on Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Sophia DuRose, Kinar Gavin, and Anna Vitale, and especially to Anna who came a long way to, to join us, and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner, and also with a lot of help from Leah Baxter and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner, and a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk. In our next episode, Patty McCarthy, Bethany Wigan, and Kate Colby join me to talk about a poem by Stephen Collis. 
And the poem is called, Yes, I Do Want to Punch Fascists in the Face, from his book, A History of the Theories of Rain. This is Al Filreis, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.